Tonight we're in Exodus chapter 20 together, Exodus chapter 20, and specifically verse number 16. Exodus 20 and verse number 16. God is giving Israel its core foundational covenant document. These ten commands, these ten words, outline some of the most important principles for Israel as a nation, their relationship with God as their king, and also their relationship with one another as a society of God's people. And so these are the words of God. They're important words. They're words that are commands from God. And they lay out for Israel how he wants them to live in in the pursuit of the glory of God, but also in being a, a light, being a witness to those around them in the Canaanite world at that time. And so God desires for them to live in a way that is pleasing to him. And in verse number 16, the command, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, is fundamentally about the pursuit of truth and justice in Israelite society. And so I pray that we will be able to learn not only how we should live as Christians, but also even beyond that, how God desires for a community of people to be governed, a community of people to relate to each other in glory to God, but also in love and concern for one another. So let's bow in prayer together. Our Father of grace, we thank you that we can call upon your name tonight. We thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us this evening as we come to your word, your truth. We desire to know it, to humble ourselves before it. Lord, help us to see all of the different ways that this command can be applied in our lives today as Christians and how by obeying it through the help of your spirit that we might be the salt and the light in our world that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, may we learn from your character tonight and from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of the time, when people come to the ninth commandment, the first thing that comes to their minds is a very general principle about not lying. A very general principle about telling the truth. And while I think that general truthfulness is certainly an application of the ninth commandment, I think we need to back up and start with the core of its meaning. And so let's, let's think about how, what this command means in its most specific sense, in its most specific application, and then we can go from there and see broader applications of its truth. And so just a little bit about what this, this command means in its background in the ancient world. For example, many societies in the ancient world, including Egypt, Mesopotamia, Babylon, they had laws regarding the justice system and regarding the truthfulness of witnesses in the justice system. And this command is very similar to that in that this command is specifically about telling the truth in legal context. It is about not perjuring oneself, about bearing false witness against one's neighbor in a legal setting that could endanger him, his life, his property, his reputation. It is in a legal setting. Uh, Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary, says this. 
He says this command is similar to the seventh commandment in that in the seventh commandment, we have a very specific prohibition against a certain kind of sexual sin, which is adultery. And so the seventh commandment does not deal specifically with all sin generically. And so this command, similarly, the ninth commandment, prohibits perjury. It is not a prohibition against every kind of lying per se. But as before, this does not mean that lying outside of the courtroom is morally acceptable. So we need to think about the purpose of the Decalogue, he says, the Ten Commandments. He says it is not simply a list of ten broad and generic types of evil doing. It is ten specific sins that will destroy the covenant community. As marriage is foundational to the family, so also a fair and equitable justice system is foundational to social coherence within the community. So the command against adultery was to protect the family and thus protect all of society, the whole covenant community of Israel. This commandment is specifically about dealing truthfully in matters of law and testimony so as to provide for a a just society in which a society can thrive. And so the justice system depends entirely upon honest testimony. Without that, no justice is possible because judges and juries are not omniscient. So justice depends on honest testimony. They depend on witnesses in order to function. Thus, this command not only calls for honesty in giving testimony, but also by implication demands that people show respect for both the rule of law and also for basic principles of fairness. So this is about establishing a cohesive society, a society that values truth and justice, a society that as a whole, as Israel was intended to be, was to reflect the very character of God, who is truth and justice. And so one could argue that all forms of deception should be included under this command. And certainly there are many scriptures throughout the entire Bible that condemn falsehood and lying. But the ninth commandment in its most specific meaning deals with false testimony when there are legal implications. And so it's really about the fair administration of justice. It is specifically given so that justice in legal matters is fairly and righteously administered. It is also intended to protect the innocent and to show love for one's neighbor, regardless of class or status. In other words, justice should be served in Israelite community regardless of whether someone is rich or whether they're poor, whether they're powerful or whether they're weak, whether they have influence or not. They are not to be treated unfairly in the justice system and falsely accused. And one of the commentaries that I read pointed out that this, many of these laws, and this one in particular, is an incredible gift of God's grace to Israel as his people. Because he reminds us that of the situation in which they're coming out of. What were they coming out of? They were coming out of probably one of the most unjust situations that you could possibly imagine. In Egypt, under Pharaoh, they had no rights. They had no ability to to, uh, appeal to a fair and equitable justice system. 
They were, they were slaves, simply under the whim of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to do with as he wanted. And so they were the weak ones, and they were mistreated. They were the ones who were poor, and they were mistreated and oppressed. But this law is given to Israel in great contrast to that, so that now as a new people of God coming into a new land, they can have what they never enjoyed in Egypt. They can, they can enjoy a society in which people tell the truth about one another, in which people love one another, in which when someone is accused of doing something wrong, that there are witnesses who will come and either verify the, the truthfulness of that or will speak and say, no, that accusation is not true. And that those witnesses can be trusted and that someone can be treated fairly in the justice system, regardless of what their status is in society. And so it was a gift of God's grace to them. And so it was meant to show love for neighbor is also to create a covenant community that could live with each other in cohesion as a unit. In the ancient societies, we see that this was a very serious penalty, and so it was in biblical law as well. To perjure oneself was a very serious crime in the ancient world. And so in this particular command, what's at issue is when someone's, someone's freedom, someone's life, someone's property, someone's name and reputation is at stake. And specifically when there is a matter of dispute or a matter of law and they're brought before the judge and witnesses are assembled to to give testimony to this particular issue, the whole system, the whole society depends on the truthfulness of those witnesses. Peter Enns says this in his commentary. He says, Israelite justice depended on witnesses to a much larger extent than in modern times. Today we have surveillance, we have cameras, we have DNA tests, we have fingerprinting. We have forensic evidence that can be brought into the courtroom. But you didn't have that in in, in the ancient world. Pretty much the only thing you had in the ancient world was witnesses. And they had to tell the truth. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see that this mirrors the character of God, that God is one who is concerned with justice and righteousness. For example, we read in Psalm 33, verse 5, that the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. We see in Exodus chapter 23 that God, and in his law, he had a concern for the poor and the oppressed in justice. So in many societies, it was possible for someone to slip a bribe to a judge or, or slip a bribe to a witness and, and for those, that witness or that judge to rule in favor of the one who is wealthy. But biblical law and the biblical justice system was set up around a concept of fairness that regardless of what your status or your wealth, that you would be treated equally under the law. And God was specifically concerned for the, for the poor and the oppressed Injustice. Leviticus 5 verse 1 says that if you had knowledge of a crime, if you had knowledge of a situation, that you were compelled by love for God and love for neighbor to come forward as a witness. In other words, in ancient Israelite society, it wasn't enough just to tell the truth when you were called to tell the truth. 
you are also called upon generally to come forward and speak to the truthfulness of a matter, even if you weren't necessarily summoned to do that. In other words, if you knew that someone was on trial, someone in your town, a friend, a neighbor, you knew that someone was being accused of a crime and you had testimony, you had eyewitness testimony or or facts or knowledge that you could bring, you were compelled under Old Testament law to come forward and provide truth to that situation. Leviticus 5.1 says this, If anyone sins because they do not speak up when they hear a public charge, to testify regarding something that they have seen or learned about, they will be held responsible. And so you can't sit on the sideline. If you, if you see that something needs to be done, then it was your responsibility to do it and to come forward with truth. William Barclay in his commentary says this, one of the most interesting facts about the Jewish law is that the man who refuses to give evidence when he has evidence to give is condemned as severely as the man who gives false evidence. It is an important principle that a cowardly or careless and irresponsible silence can be as senseless a crime as false and lying speech. The sin of silence is as real as the sin of speech. And so, for example, consider someone who's on a witness stand. And the attorneys are asking very specific questions, right? They're asking specific questions. And maybe it might be possible for a witness on the stand to answer those questions very narrowly, very specifically, and still be truthful, right? But what if they have more knowledge that they could give? They, had, they saw more with their eyes. They knew more. And they could offer testimony that, was, that would bring greater light to the situation. The Bible says that they have a responsibility to do that. To make sure that the truth is seen by everyone so that justice is served. Deuteronomy 19 spells out the ramifications and the penalties for acting as a false witness. Deuteronomy, according to Deuteronomy 19, if you act as a false witness, then you were, and it was found out that you were a false witness, then you were to face the same penalty as the person who is being accused that you are testifying against. So in other words, if somebody was being accused of murder, and you came forward as a witness or you were called as a witness and you provided false testimony about that case and it was then later found out that you provided false testimony for that case and this person would have been convicted based on that false testimony or even was convicted based on that false testimony, then you would face the penalty for murder, which in Israelite society was capital punishment. Because that was essentially what you were laying upon this person by your falsehood. And so if it was found out that you lied in that, then you were to bear his same penalty in that. It was a very serious thing in ancient Israel. Justice was so important that especially in crimes of murder or very serious crimes, they, it could only be established on the basis of a minimum of two unanimous witnesses. The scriptures say two or three, and they had to agree. Two or three unanimous witnesses. Otherwise, you could not convict someone of the crime. 
Also in the Old Testament, if anyone accuses another of murder, then that one who, who makes the accusation, they had to be the first one to throw the stone. Leviticus, or Deuteronomy 17, verse 7. They had to be the first one to cast the stone. In other words, their accusation, their testimony, it, was, it went beyond words. They had to have an active part in the justice system, in the carrying out even of the penalty. Proverbs talks a lot about false witnesses. In fact, Proverbs 6, in its list of seven things that God hates, six things that are detestable, that are an abomination to God, one of those in that list is a lying witness, a false witness. We saw from 1 Kings 21 a prime example of false testimony in action where Naboth is lied against. False witnesses are hired. They come and they say false things about Naboth. And guess what happens? His life is taken wrongly, falsely. He is murdered. And the Lord holds Ahab accountable for that murder. And so that is the specific meaning of the ninth commandment. But can we apply it more broadly? I think we could bring many other applications into it. So for example, in Hosea 4 verse 2, we see a list of many, many sins that resemble the Ten Commandments. And in that is lying. So Hosea 4 verse 2 says this, There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. That looks very much like the last half of the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? But it puts in lying. Leviticus 19 verse 16 says this, Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Psalm 5 verse 6 says, You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. And so many, many scriptures could be brought in to speak to the fact that not just false witness in a court of law, but all falsehood, especially falsehood that results in harm to a neighbor, is wrong. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in this passage, it specifically says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. It doesn't just say it generically, don't bear false witness. It says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, it is directed toward another person to whom we have a relationship, right? Against your neighbor. And what does Leviticus 19 tell us? That we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this, this desire for justice, for truth in society is really an outflow of a desire for love, to show love to one another. There's been some debate in Old Testament studies about who the neighbor is. Is the neighbor just a fellow Israelite? Or does it apply more broadly to even foreigners or strangers within the land of Israel? I think there's good evidence in the Old Testament that sometimes it can be used just of an Israelite. But there are many, many places where it is applied more generically even to foreigners and strangers within Israel. So that all people were to be treated with love and respect. How does Jesus apply it in the New Testament? Remember somebody came to Jesus and asked him, what are the two great commands? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But then someone wanting to justify himself asked this question of Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? 
And you remember the story that he told? It was the parable of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans who were despised by Israelites. The Samaritan was the one who showed love to his neighbor, to a stranger, to a foreigner. And so I think Jesus fully answered that question. And who is our neighbor? And basically anyone. Anyone that we may come in contact with. Anyone that we, that uh, anyone in society is potentially someone that we are to show love and kindness and generosity to. And, speci- and also in this particular context to show truthfulness and justice for to care that they are taken care of in truthfulness. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus himself bore under the penalty of death, of a crime that he did not commit, and false witnesses were brought against him, weren't they? Witnesses were brought against Jesus, and they testified falsely about Jesus, and he suffered the punishment for that sin that he did not commit. We see the importance of telling the truth in many places in the New Testament as well. Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Colossians 3 says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So let's talk about just a few applications as we close our time together tonight. Obviously, the main, the core meaning of this is to not perjure yourself in a court of law. But then we can work outward from that in terms of application. And so we should be people who are concerned about justice in society. We should be people that are concerned that those who are weak or those who are oppressed, that they're not being unfairly treated in the justice system. We as Christians should not put up with bribery or false accusations or or under the table deals that undercut true justice. What about outside the courtroom? Wouldn't this command also speak of spreading lies or rumors or gossip about your neighbor that destroys his reputation? may not be in a court of law, but it's in the court of public opinion. And you can ruin someone's reputation and their business or their livelihood by speaking lies, slander about that person. primary concern with this command is justice in society. And another primary concern in it is a care and love for one's neighbor. And so we need to speak in such a way so as never to bring harm to a neighbor. Never speak in such a way that you can bring harm to a neighbor. And so this command is about truthfulness It's about honesty. It's about justice in society. It's about love for our neighbor. It's about establishing a community in which we can trust one another. A community in which we can do business with one another, in which we can treat one another with fairness. And that we can depend on true witnesses when there are questions that need to be resolved. I want to read from this last commentary here. This is from Peter Enns. 
and he reminds us that, that this command of God and many of these commands of God are not just about how Israel should live among themselves, but also how they were intended by God to be a light to the world. He says this, this command is given for the Israelite community as a whole. He says, when people in a public setting are in a dispute over land or property, and in the course of seeking a fair and just resolution, the parties involved or witnesses intentionally distort the truth, perhaps for personal gain, social cohesion is threatened. God is preparing his people not just to be nice to each other. He is training them to be his people in Canaan. To be order amid chaos. To be a holy people and a kingdom of priests so that by looking at them, the nations will come to know the true God. Remember that back in Exodus 19, that's, that, that's what God specifically said about the Israelite people, that you are to be a kingdom of priests. In other words, you are going to be my representatives to the world. And so he is calling on them to show love and justice and truthfulness to each other, and not just to each other, but to be a shining light on a hill so that others may see what God is doing among these people and so that God ultimately will be glorified. And so may we, as Christian people, may we live truthfully. May we live truthfully with our words, truthfully with our actions, May we deal kindly with our neighbors. And if we see an injustice being done, then when we have opportunity and we can make a difference, then let us step forward and see that justice is done. Let's be advocates for what is right and true and just. Let's be advocates for the the care and the concern of those who may be being mistreated in society. Let's be advocates for the character of, of our God. As Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, my dear children. And so may we reflect the character of our God as we live in this world. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we come to you tonight and we acknowledge, Lord, that many times we are not truthful with our words. Many times our our false words have hurt other people. Maybe they have tarnished someone's character or reputation. Maybe we have cheated someone out of something with our words. Maybe a neighbor or a friend has suffered harm because we have not told the truth. Or we ask for your forgiveness. We confess it to you tonight. We are thankful, Lord, that there is grace found in you and in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful that, Lord, even though we are far from perfect in obeying this command, that our Lord Jesus is the perfect model of truthfulness and justice. So, Lord, as you have redeemed us, as you have called us to become your people, then, Lord, may we live as your people. And may we resemble your heart, your character of truth and righteousness and justice. 
May we be the shining light on a candlestick that you've called us to be. Let our light shine that others may see those good works and glorify you in heaven. Lord, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.